Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I have a couple questions for you. Have you ever been in a power outage? Some people may say I'm still in a power outage. Um, have you ever driven on a dark country road? There's no, no street lights. Or maybe, do you remember being a child and being afraid of the dark, wanting to leave the light on? <clears throat> I think in all those situations, having a candle, a flashlight, or some good uh, headlights would uh, make all the difference in the world. Would you agree with that? I'd like to share with you who those lights are. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, beginning in verse 14, it says there, that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're that light. We're that light that the world needs. And I was wondering sometimes, why do we see such dark things in our lives? And I'm thinking in comparison to the light, things are going to be dark. There, there is a, a contrast. And that's our purpose, to shine the light. And what's this light that we're talking about and where do we get it from? In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. That was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. That's our job to shine, to shine our lights. So we have that light source from Jesus Christ, the word of God, the truth, the promises that we stand on, that we live by. But that's just step one. Step two is sharing, shining that light. In Matthew chapter 28, I think it gives us some instructions on how we are to share and shine this light that we have. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. 
When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Making disciples of them, baptizing and teaching. I have to confess to you, I don't think that I've baptized anybody yet. Uh, And I do say yet. I say yet because I see that that's something that I'm supposed to be doing. And the teaching... Maybe some fall into that category, too, where they say, well, maybe I haven't taught anybody yet. But I think that teaching kind of expands over a wider scope than we think. Um, That's my profession, has been my profession for a while to be a uh, military instructor as well as uh, at the Postal Service. And I found that some of the uh, deepest lessons come from your actions and what you demonstrate versus what you say. Studies have been done on lectures and they're the least effective. Kind of ironic, right? So the life that we live may do more teaching than we'll ever say or present. So just kind of keep that uh, in mind. Quinn, I want to thank you for the reading. Um, Initially, I thought that I would touch on all those different areas, but after I started doing the research and putting it together, I realized there was at least three sermons there, at least three. So I decided to just stick with one. But thank you for the reading. I really appreciate that. And in the reading, Peter gives us and provides us with some examples of some early Christians who shine their light amongst false teachers and uh, prophets. Second Peter, chapter two, beginning at verse four. And I don't know if you can make it out, but there is a I looked for a picture of uh, Ark. And I think um, Glenn has been on some tour where they actually got to see um, a a replica of what that might look like. And I saw online uh, people inside, so um, tried to do my best there. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned and cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. I was I couldn't help but think about a needle in a haystack because we're talking about the whole world. We're talking about eight people. So I just I was just trying to get my hand around. It. I was thinking, OK, maybe that would be like trying to get pick out eight needles in maybe a barn 
maybe. And I'm thinking for us, that probably, for me, that would be difficult. That would be difficult. But then that kind of goes back to the previous verses. What if I was able to turn the lights down in that barn and those needles shine? They did what they were supposed to. They, they shed light. I would be able to pick those. I think I could identify it would increase my chances. Let me say that I probably still wouldn't be successful, but I think it would increase my chances. So I see that we're supposed to be on our job, shining that light for a number of reasons. In a dark world, there are some people looking for hope, looking for uh, something to just hang on. And we don't know that the words that we share with them, that might make all the difference in the world to them. But if we don't know the word, we, we can't do our job. We can't share. We can't shine that light. We can't do what we're supposed to do. And I think it's bad enough, the world that we live in. And I was looking for instruction and I'm thinking, OK, I wonder what it was like for, for Noah, because we're talking about an ungodly world, not city. Not neighborhood, not school, not job, not state, not country, not continent. We're talking about world. I think it was difficult. So I'm thinking if there's somebody that can teach me how to navigate in an ungodly world, it's, it's no. So I was wondering was it that bad, though? Was it? Because we got all this technology and stuff. Things are different. So I wonder, what does an ungodly world look like? What are the characteristics of it? In Genesis chapter 6 and beginning at verse 5. We find then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. I don't know if you can make the uh, picture out there. Uh, it's a riot. Uh, a lot of violence going on. And I was thinking, OK, um, <clears throat> turn the TV on to the news this morning. That was fresh. So we don't even have to have stale violence. There's fresh violence every morning. There's fresh violence all the time. So I'm, I'm trying to make a comparison about this ungodly world and the one I live in. They look the same. They, they look similar. <clears throat> And I see here that because of that, God's heart was grieved. And I don't know about you. Grieve is not a, a normal part of my uh, vocabulary. I don't just use that every day. I probably have used it before. But so I looked it up and what I saw is grieve means to worry, to pain, to anger, displease, to hurt. To make me sorry. And I'm trying to think if there are some things that you want God to feel. I think this is the opposite. I don't think you want God to feel sorry. I don't think you want him to 
worry or be displeased with you. I, I think this is the opposite of what you want. <clears throat> and the terminology says an ungodly world. So I was trying to get at this grieved. So I'm for a moment, I'm just trying to put myself in God's shoes. I made this world and this world wants nothing to do with me. And I made them. Wouldn't that grieve you? More characteristics of this ungodly world. Genesis chapter 6 verse 11. The earth was also the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt and all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Once again, I just turned the TV on to see if there was fresh corruption and there's fresh corruption uh, in our world. So I'm trying to see what's the difference between this ungodly world of Noah's time and my present day. I'm not really seeing that much of a difference. So I wonder, how does a holy God respond to an ungodly world, a world that wants nothing to do with him? Genesis chapter 6 and verse 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. If I had to sum that up, I would say. God was hurt. We hurt God. That's an amazing feat to hurt God. But we're able to do it. We're able to hurt God and grieve him. Now, I don't know who would be proud of that. Maybe somebody that's not in their right mind. Maybe. So I think all of this just kind of brings us to where I really wanted to go. I want to know from Noah, how did you navigate that that confidence course? How did you get around all the obstacles? How how did you not go down? How were you not part of being destroyed? That's what I would ask. If I get the opportunity upstairs, I plan to have some conversations, uh, definitely with Moses. But I'd like to know this from Noah firsthand. We find in Genesis chapter six and verse eight. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. There's a lot there. He found grace. So he had he found it. I, I guess it didn't just come to him. It wasn't just obvious. He found grace. Um, grace is what I found is graciousness. That is subjectively. To find 
favor, to find favor. <clears throat> now, I, was, I know with our bills, sometimes we have grace where you get the bill in the mail. And I'm sorry for that. Um, you get the bill in the mail and there's a little bit of time before you have to pay that. So there's a little bit of wiggle room, if you will. But here, Noah found favor with God. So that still didn't answer my question. OK, I, he was spared. I know that it worked out. How? How did he find favor with God? Now, there's some words here. Perfect and just. Some of us probably kind of hesitate because I don't know if you like you're like me, but I've made some mistakes. And perfect means in our minds, flawless, no mistakes, absolutely superb, without error. But when I looked up just the word just here, I saw lawful. I saw righteous. So I was like, OK, I, I think I'm a little closer to that because I, I do try. I put forth the effort to obey and be lawful. I try to make the right decision. So I'm like, OK, maybe it's not so far away and perfect. I looked it up and it says. I saw integrity there and I saw sincerity and I am sincere when I do things. Now, sometimes I'm sincere at doing the wrong things, but I'm sincere. I'm sincere and I try to have integrity. I try to make sure that I'm making the right decision so I can see being closer to those words once I look at some of the other options with them. Um, and now where it says Christian walk, I kind of understand that because that's the direction that you're in. You're headed toward the direction of perfection. You're headed in the direction of being just. Not that you are just, not that you are perfect, but you're headed in that direction. You walk in that direction. So do you practice integrity? Do you practice sincerity? I see here in Genesis chapter six and verse 14, because I'm still trying to figure out how did Noah find how did he find this favor with God? Genesis chapter six, verse 14. It says there, make yourself. An ark of gopher wood, make room in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So I have a question. When Noah heard these instructions from God, how did he respond? Uh, let, let me spin it around. Let me spin it around. When you hear instructions from God, how do you respond? Let me add just a little bit more to it. Do you have to understand it first? Like, hold up, God, I need to see the plan. I need to see I need to see how I'm going to turn out at the end. How this going to work out first before before I do the plan? Because I'm trying to figure out here. Noah was told to do this. I wonder if he knew anything about flood waters. Did he have to understand flood waters first before he built the ark? Now, hold up, God. I, I, I need more understanding on this before I start building, before I get any supplies or 
before I do anything? Or does that just describe us? Genesis chapter 7, verse 5. It says there, And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. I didn't take the time to look this up, but I'm thinking it wasn't an overnight project. I'm thinking, I'm thinking the ark was a long, a long process, a, a lot of opportunities to give up, to question God to doubt, to turn around, a whole bunch of opportunities. But Noah did none of that. It said that he did everything that he was commanded to do. Let me put this question out there. What if Noah had to understand God's plan before he built the ark? Where would you be? If he had to understand first. I have to confess, sometimes that's the way I am. I'm like, God, I know what you say, but I can't see that. I don't I don't see the vision. I don't think us seeing the vision is necessary for obedience. So what I see here, if I had to pick one thing that Noah did that allowed him to navigate, he was obedient. He was obedient when he didn't understand what in the world floodwaters or what God's doing. And I think that's the mindset we have to have is we don't need to understand God's intricacies and the plan. We just need to understand what the instructions were. I think his instructions in the previous slide was go make this art. The instructions were clear to him. You just need to understand the instructions, I think. And that's what I need to do. I need to just understand the instructions, not understand what God's plan is. And I think I've had this conversation with some folks before. Um, and I imagine some of our math people in here could probably appreciate this. These, I see in these movies where these professors have these boards with all of this information, all these different formulas, how they got to the answer. Now, that's man's logic. Imagine if God pulled his board out and said, OK, here's. Here's the plan. If you need to understand the plan before you can obey, this is what the plan looks like. Now, a person I think that got close to that was um, Job, because I think Job kind of got a glimpse at what what the plan was. God asked him a few questions on the board. And I don't think Job Job had any idea of anything that was up there. So I think understanding or seeing the plan won't help. us. It won't help us just being obedient to whatever God's instructions are. For us are. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 8. It says here. <clears throat> of clean animals. Of animals that are unclean. Of birds. And of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two. They went into the ark. To Noah. Male and female. As God commanded. Noah. What I see there is obedience. Noah was obedient.
Genesis chapter 7 and verse 23. So he destroyed all living things. And we see that he is capital, so we know what he uh, we're talking about. Which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. God knows how to save, no matter how bad the situation may look. We serve a God that knows how to save. <clears throat> and, and maybe another lesson that I plan to give, I was going to look at um, where Abraham was negotiating with God and <clears throat> got the number down to 10, but I see... Uh, here that we're just at eight. So I'm thinking we didn't even get to 10, but then I gave it some more thought. It didn't even say that those eight were all uh, righteous. It didn't even say that, but that we didn't even reach 10. It was just eight. So what that speaks to is how ungodly the world was. We didn't even get to 10 in the whole world. Eight. Craig, I appreciate you bringing this to my attention, that this Lord knows how to save. It says, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So those that are doing evil, they're not going to get away with that. My mom uh, had this phrase she used to tell my brother and I, when we do something wrong because she didn't necessarily want to whip us for every little thing. So she'd say, oh, you got by with that, but you didn't get away. You're not going to get away with that, but you got by with that. And she'd make another reference of the pawn shop. She's like, you're in the pawn shop right now. At any time, somebody could come along and just buy you, uh, which is. Uh, a, a, a simulation of a whipping. And at any time you could get a whipping. Uh, so um, <clears throat> those that are doing evil in this world, the ungodly, there's punishment that's reserved for them. But I think our job, our job is to share with them how good of a God it is that we serve and what he does um, and what he has done and what he can do and how nothing is too hard for him. So we have to be on our job, shining our light. And that light is the word of God. And I was thinking that <clears throat> before we can even shine that light and share that light with other people, we have to know it first. And I'm appreciative of this church and all the folks in it who have uh, helped me to dig into this Bible. Um, and, and, and in a loving way, like, hey, you might want to, and, and it might happen after this. Have you ever looked at this passage this way? I, I, I love the kind uh, instruction because that's what it says it's for, uh, reproof, so that we get it right. See, because this is life and death. If I applied this in an operating room, 
whenever there's a procedure, there's not five or six ways to do the procedure and the patient lives. <laughs> Generally, there's one correct way and all the other ways lead to death. We're talking about on a much larger scale. So this is the procedure. So I appreciate when those other doctors peek over my shoulder and say, hey, you forgot to stitch that up. Or, hey, you might. Those instruments don't go inside the body. You need to take those out. They, they go over here. Make sure it's nothing in there. Sew them up good. So I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you shining your light, and I will do my best to do the, do the same. <clears throat> this, this God that we serve, I, I like what I saw here in Revelation chapter 3. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It's a lot of a lot of value in this. But one of the words that really jumped out is it says anyone. Anyone. See, I'm thinking once upon a time, it wasn't anyone. It's was just the Jews. What It wasn't wasn't anyone. But we're at a point where anyone. So. Also, the flip side of that is there is no excuse because it says anyone. Nobody has an excuse. Thank you for your time and attention. Um, if there's anybody here who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that light that I talked about. You don't have it, but you're at the right place. You're at the lighthouse and you can get some lights here. Uh, if your relationship is not where it needs to be with our Lord and Savior. You're at the right place. And if we can just pray for you as a church body. Uh, if you're here in the sanctuary, would you please come forward, have a seat on the front pew? If you're on Zoom or um, Mixler, would you please reach out to the eldership, the leadership, and um, we will do what we can to address your needs as we stand and sing the uh, Song of Invitation. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.